The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Though His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode series, our goal is to fully equip ourselves with a complete historical and cultural understanding of Jesus' I Am statements as revealed within God's Word, the Bible. While the subject matter may not be completely new ground, I have an abiding faith that any time we approach God's Word with a sincere and earnest desire to learn, we cannot help and will not fail to deepen a greater understanding and appreciation of God's nature and deity from a diligent Berean study of His Word, the Bible. With this being said, let's pray that God would give us discernment and reward our efforts. Dear Lord, I pray that your Spirit would breathe life anew into your Word as it goes forth to stir our hearts. I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, 
and a heart to receive transformation, sanctification, and maturity, and to be conformed to the likeness of your Son, in whom you are well pleased. Bless now this study and those who listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you ask, what are Jesus' I am statements? Well, put simply, during Jesus' ministry on earth, in his incarnation and first coming, Jesus said and did many things. As we look at the gospel accounts, we find instances where, in particular, Jesus makes declarations of self-identification, where he reveals himself to be God. Jesus' revelations of his deity typically have the phrase, quote, I am, unquote, in conjunction with some other reference which accompanies the phrase, I am. When the entirety of the context containing these statements are studied with attention to the Jewish culture and history of the Bible, the clear and present intention of Jesus' disclosures as being God are unmistakable. Further, these various statements draw a clear line connecting Jesus, the Messiah of the New Testament, the Alpha and Omega as being pre-existent as the second person of the Godhead in eternity, the Ancient of Days, and the I Am of the burning bush in Exodus. Consequently, Jesus' I am statements forever answer the question definitively as to who Jesus is and that who is God of very God. This episode series' goal is to identify and discuss the specifics of the statements made by Jesus found in the various gospel accounts and to place them into their proper respective framework according to a biblical worldview. In order to do so, we must by necessity study and discuss the foundation of these statements which provide the context to fully understanding and appreciating the depth and breadth of Jesus' declarations and message. One of the common misconceptions, even among many Christians, is that Jesus' message only started after his birth and once he began his actual ministry. This fallacy springs largely from the errant view that Jesus of Nazareth, i.e. the Messiah, is a separate, different, and unrelated person or God from that of the Old Testament God, Yahweh. As a result, various people, various denominations, and various Christians who proceed from this erroneous theory develop theologies which create problems ranging from the simple to the heretical. However, properly understood, God's Word, the Bible, is an encyclopedia containing a unified revelation of God's attributes, His nature, His relationship to man, and His redemptive plan of salvation, 
as given within 66 various books inspired and written by 40 different authors. Conversely, we would expect that an omniscient God would know the past, the present, and the future from an eternal perspective. We know that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead and is co-eternal and co-omniscient. So, the only thing different about Jesus' birth is that Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, who is God, voluntarily became God in the flesh. Jesus of Nazareth was and is 100% God and 100% man. Thus, according to Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 and many others, Jesus was not only the agent of creation, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This means that Jesus' birth, i.e. his incarnation, his ministry, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return as king of kings are all events which were anticipated and planned from eternity past. So, as Berean Bible students, our goal is to locate and identify those statements given by God in his word which reveal and predict what God intends to do. Our theory has been that whether these statements are straightforward or whether they take the form of types and shadows, God's revelation is given in advance that once prophecy is fulfilled, those who desire to do so can look back to that revelation and conclude that only God can tell the future in advance. Only our God is God. Only our God is worthy of our honor, worship, and faith. We have seen this dynamic already demonstrated with various prophecies given hundreds of years prior to Jesus' birth. We have seen this demonstrated in previous episodes which discuss types and shadows. With such a critical subject as Jesus' identity and deity as God, we should be diligent to pay attention to documented examples which predict Jesus' deity and to which Jesus would fulfill and point back to in order to demonstrate and connect himself as the God of all Scripture. From one perspective, as we have made the case, all of Scripture is an exercise in God revealing himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Certainly, the New Testament, and in particular the Gospel accounts of Jesus' I Am statements, are the pinnacle of these revelations. Clearly, the process of God's introduction of himself and his fellowship with man began when God created man and continued moving forward. For the purposes of this episode series, we begin our search with the incident found in Exodus chapter 3. Now, by disclaimer, 
I should mention that the subject of the translation of Exodus chapter 3 verses 13, 14, and 15, both in Hebrew and the Greek, how they relate to one another, and how, if in fact they do, relate to Jesus' I am statements, is a controversial topic with opinions going back hundreds of years. For every opinion suggested here, one can doubtlessly find numerous scholars with opinions which sharply contradict these. The second thing which deserves a forewarning is this. The presentation of language translation and grammar in an audio format is a challenge. It is admittedly difficult to keep material like this exciting and, and prevent oneself from going too far into the weeds. At the same time, it is necessary in order to make a scholarly case. What I did find is that, at least for myself, the investment of time was well worth the effort, and I pray that with your patience you will experience the same results. With this in mind, I present what is to follow in the spirit of humility for your consideration. This being said, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. At this point, by way of review, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had entered into the land of Egypt as a group of about 70 people to seek shelter from an up-and-coming famine. Once there, this group of 70 Israelites grew in number over a period of approximately 400 years into a group numbered anywhere from 1 to 3 million people. While there, the Israelites fell into bondage under the Egyptians. Eventually, God chooses Moses, who is an Israelite, to deliver God's people from their bondage to the Promised Land. In preparation, God reveals himself to Moses on Mount Sinai from the famous burning bush and tells Moses to go to Israel and proclaim to Israel and to Pharaoh the message of God's deliverance from bondage. In verse 13, Moses asks God a logical and perhaps even a predictable question. Quote, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Unquote. Now, traditionally, most people, scholars included, look at this verse and assume that Moses is inquiring of God for God to tell Moses what his name is because the English word, quote-unquote, name is used here. Hence, the question is then supposedly about what is the proper name of God, i.e. Bob, Ted, Charlie, etc. Hence, going forward, 
Regarding this verse, people are preoccupied with the various nuances of the original language so that we can all know exactly what God's personal pronoun name is. And now, while I do not discount this uh, possibility, I would like to propose an alternative which I believe carries immensely more profound ramifications than the simple quest for a proper pronoun name. In the verse above, the Hebrew behind the word quote-unquote name is quote shem unquote. The Hebrew word shem means quote name, fame, reputation, identity, personality, or character, unquote. As it turns out, this is not uncommon. As we survey scripture, we can see various historical personages being named according to certain character mannerisms and or events which were highlighted in their lives. For example, Eve's name in Hebrew means, quote, life giver or mother of all living, unquote. Seth means, quote, compensation, unquote, because after Abel was murdered by Cain, Seth was a compensation after Abel's death. Abraham means, quote, father of a multitude, chief of a multitude, unquote. Isaac means, quote, he laughs, unquote, because when the angel of the Lord informed Sarah that Sarah, who was 90 years old, would become pregnant and give birth to a son from Abraham, Sarah laughed at the prospect. The son in question was later named Isaac as a way of reminding Abraham and Sarah of the incident. So if we take what we have learned then, there are two ways to interpret Exodus chapter 3 verse 13. In the first case, we can say, quote, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Unquote. In this case, Moses is simply requesting for God to supply a proper pronoun, quote unquote, name, with which to identify God when referring to him or talking to him. In the second case, we can read Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 as, quote, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his character? What shall I say unto them? Unquote. In this event, Moses is not simply asking about a proper pronoun name. Moses is in fact inquiring about God's nature and character. While it may seem that there is little difference on the surface, the variances completely alter the way we understand God's response in verse 14. In fact, by way of a slight detour, we can find a very germane example which demonstrates how using the Hebrew word Shem changes how we understand a very familiar verse. Just for a moment, turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, 
where we read the famous third commandment given by God on Mount Sinai. Quote, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Unquote. Again, traditionally, this commandment has been taken to mean that God is commanding that man is forbidden from using God's proper pronoun name as a curse word or that man should have the ultimate attitude of reverence for God's name and not an irreverence. To all of this, I would heartily agree. However, keeping in mind what the original translation for the Hebrew word Shem is, we could also accurately translate Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 to read, quote, Thou shalt not take the character of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his character in vain, unquote. With this alternate translation, one can immediately see that the intent of the command goes far beyond cursing and or a general lack of reverence for God's proper pronoun name. This translation reminds every true child of God that we are created in his image and that we are his image bearers. If in fact we are his chosen children, then he has implanted his character to us through the gift of his indwelling Holy Spirit. This being the case, we are responsible as his stewards to diligently and reverently guard that character and not to squander it or bring disrepute to his character by willfully or rebelliously living in sin. This idea matches what we know from the totality of God's word in context. We know that God will chastise those whom he loves in order to bring them to repentance. So, Moses having asked the question, quote, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his character, or name? What shall I say unto them? I'll quote. To this, God then responds to Moses' question in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, saying, quote, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you, unquote. Here, the words that are the focus of our study are the English words translating the Hebrew, which read, quote, I am that I am, unquote, and, quote, I am, unquote. Clearly, these words and their correct translation represent God's desire to communicate to Moses, to Israel, and by extension, to all who want to answer Moses' question about who God is. 
In order to answer this question, we need to look at the original language. With this in mind, as we move forward in this episode study, we must recognize again that the format of an audio podcast forces us to suffer a deficit limitation since we are limited to describing Hebrew and or Greek letters and characters rather than showing them visually along with the audio description. Shortcomings notwithstanding, we will do the best we can to make the necessary material as clear as possible. With this in mind, to breach the gap, I would suggest that for the best learning and study possible that the listener should download Blue Letter Bible to their computer or to their smartphone. Both are free and simple to use. If you need to do so, pause now and continue once the download is complete. Once you have Blue Letter Bible, navigate to Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. Once there, open Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 and look for the interlinear translation of this verse. If you have followed directions correctly, you should see the Masoretic text showing the Hebrew version of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, along with the English correlation. As you scroll down the list of English and Hebrew words, you will see the English words, quote, I am, unquote, and, quote, that I am, unquote. In both cases, the original Hebrew word being translated is, quote, hayah, unquote. This Hebrew word is pronounced with a hard H sound, as in ha-yah. Like many English words, as you look at the individual characters which make Hebrew words, Hebrew words consist of individual characters, each of which have their own pronunciation. The letter combinations often have one or more root words, each of which can affect the final translation in question. Finally, like English, Hebrew words can be conjugated grammatically to affect the final translation. In the case of Hayah, the root word is three Hebrew characters which are individually pronounced as He, Yod, He. This root word, which is a verb, means, quote, exist, am, be, unquote. Further, this root word can be conjugated three different ways depending on the addition of three different Hebrew prefix characters. In the first case, we can add the Hebrew letter Aleph, which looks similar to an English letter X. If we do so, we have the Hebrew word Ayeh which is the first person imperfect tense translated as, quote, I exist, I am, I will be, unquote. In the second case, we can add the Hebrew letter P, 
pave, which looks similar to an English lowercase n. If we do so, we have the Hebrew word tia, which is the second person translated, quote, you exist, you are, you will be, unquote. Finally, in the third case, we can add the Hebrew letter Yod, which looks like an English apostrophe mark. If we do so, we have the Hebrew word Yiye, which is the third person tense translated, quote, He exists, He is, He will be, unquote. So as we look at the original Masoretic text of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, we see that the original Hebrew is ayeh, or the first person imperfect tense, which should be translated as, quote, I exist, I am, I will be, unquote. The next Hebrew word to be discussed is translated with the English word, quote, that, unquote. The original Hebrew word here is pronounced esher. The Hebrew word esher is a relative pronoun, meaning that the translation depends on the context in which the word is used. In this case, Asher can mean, quote, that, which, who, whom, or because, unquote. The next Hebrew word, as stated, is an exact repeat of the first word discussed, ayeh. Thus, all told, we have the Hebrew phrase, quote, ayeh, asher, ayeh, unquote. Now, while the King James translates this into English as, quote, I am, that I am, unquote, we could equally translate this phrase as, quote, I will exist because I will exist, I exist because I exist, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, or I am that which exists, unquote. It is also important to recognize that Hebrew is a dynamic language. What this means is that for the purposes of translation into English and the desire to have ease of reading, we are inevitably constrained to pick one word or one phrase which the translator believes best represents the meaning of the original language. However, the reality is that in order to do justice, each and every one of the above English translations for aye, a share, aye, is required in order to represent the dynamic nature of the original language. At this point, we must ask ourselves a question. If we take all things thus far in the totality of their context, what is the information and answer by God telling us given Moses' question. Remember, Moses' question to God was, quote, 
And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his character, or name? What shall I say unto them? Unquote. Well, clearly, God's answer to Moses lends itself to a revelation of God's character, far and above a simple proper noun representing a first or last name. Continuing with our study of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, we see that God, in fact, repeats and clarifies his answer to Moses. And again, we have Moses' question to God as follows, quote, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his character, or name? What shall I say unto them? Unquote. God then answers, saying, quote, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. We have already studied and discussed the first part of God's answer, saying, quote, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am, unquote. Now let's look at the second part reading, quote, And he said, Thou shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you, unquote. In specific, let's focus on the translation of the words, quote, I am, unquote, in the second part. Here again, the original Hebrew word and characters translated as, quote, I am, unquote, are ayeh, and are identical in every respect and definition to the, quote, I am, unquote, which appears in the first part of God's answer. Moving forward, we turn our attention to Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, which says, quote, And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thou shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations." Unquote. Here, in every case where the word quote-unquote God appears, the original Hebrew word is Elohim. The word Elohim is a plural masculine noun referring to God completely in keeping with the theology that God is triune. The key word in this passage is the Hebrew word translated as, quote, Lord, unquote. In this case, the Hebrew word translated, quote, Lord, unquote, is a word composed of four Hebrew characters. The characters in question are pronounced Yod, He, Wa, or Va, and He. Because there are four letters in this Hebrew word, the word is most commonly known as the Tetragrammaton. Tetra meaning four in Greek, and gramma meaning letter, also in Greek. As with the Hebrew word Hayah, 
discussed earlier, the Hebrew word translated quote-unquote Lord also has a root word consisting of three letters, he, wa, or va, and he, pronounced hawa. The important thing is to understand that the Hebrew root word of hayah from Exodus 3.14 and the Hebrew word hawa from Exodus 3.15 are related. The two words are virtually identical in meaning and usage. Additionally, just like hayah in Exodus 3.14, hawa in Exodus 3.15 is a verb which can be conjugated different ways based upon a suffix letter. In the first case, we can add the Hebrew letter aleph, which looks similar to the English letter X. If we do so, we have the Hebrew word ehweh, which is the first person imperfect tense translated as, quote, I exist, I am, I will be, unquote. In the second case, we can add the Hebrew letter tav, which looks similar to an English lowercase n. If we do so, we have the Hebrew word tiwe, which is the second person tense translated, quote, you exist, you are, you will be, unquote. Finally, in the third case, we can add the Hebrew letter yod, which looks like an English apostrophe mark. If we do so, we have the Hebrew word yiwe, which is the third person tense translated, quote, he exists, he is, he will be, unquote. Now, as we look at the original Masoretic text of Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, we see that the original Hebrew is yiwe, or the third person imperfect tense, which should be translated as, quote, he exists, he is, he will be, unquote. Consequently, the only change between Exodus 3.14 and Exodus 3.15 is one of tense. In this case, in the case of Exodus 3.14, God introduces his character in the first person to Moses as, quote, I am, I exist, I am that I am, I will exist because I will exist, I exist because I exist, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, or I am that which exists, unquote. In the case of Exodus 3.15, God is instructing Moses what to tell Israel regarding God's character. Since Moses will be relating the information and God will not be speaking directly, the tense changes to the third person and the result is, quote, he is, he exists, he will be, unquote. Here again with Exodus 3.15, as with Exodus 3.14, the end result of our proposed translation is consistent with Moses' question and the theory that Moses is in fact inquiring about God's character 
as opposed to a proper pronoun identification of God. Unfortunately, when it comes to Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, which says, quote, And God said, Moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations, unquote. We traditionally translate, quote, this is my name, unquote, and immediately start looking for a proper pronoun name to be found in the Hebrew tetragrammaton letters. Instead of looking for character, which is what the Hebrew word Shem means, we are guessing about what we should call God as far as a proper pronoun name. This guessing about how to pronounce the individual Hebrew characters, as well as what missing vowels might be between each of the four Hebrew letters, leads to any number of possibilities such as Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah, etc. In the end, I'm not dismissing that God has a name or that God is not revealing what his name is in his word. But personally, I believe it is more meaningful for God's people to have a revelation about God's specific character than it would be to have a specific proper pronoun in which to refer to God. For the time being, this concludes this episode. Please join me for part two. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust in